So here we are, folks. We're still dealing with the uh, with the parables, and so we're looking this week, as uh, Liz um, uh, said in the prayer, we'll be looking at this uh, at what sometimes is called a sinful woman forgiven, and the parable of the debts and debtors. And so let's uh, open up by looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter seven, verses thirty-six through fifty. And I invite you to hear these words. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And then a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love, but the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you this morning as a people knowing that we need to hear from you. And so we pray that in the moments ahead that you would speak to us Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are softened to your voice. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So Wednesday, uh, we were talking about this passage, as we usually do, um, uh, at the staff meeting, and someone uh, brought up the fact that it's odd to see the Pharisees, at least um, in some sense, in, in a better light than usual. The fact that they actually invited Jesus into their home, and while they may not have been as hospitable as they could have been, it was somewhat odd to see uh, the Pharisees interacting with, the, with Jesus like this. Usually when it comes to the Pharisees, we just automatically think that they're horrible people 
people altogether. But but we forget, of course, Pharisees like Nicodemus uh, who came to Jesus in the night, and and even Pharisees in the Book of Acts who began to follow Jesus even after um, he had left the earth. And so it's important for us, I think, always to kind of give uh, um, some folks the benefit of the doubt. And and it's interesting that Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus into this meal. And it would have been a pretty big deal. These meals were, were significant items. Most in the community would have heard about it. And you, you probably know this, but the way that they would have positioned this is at the tables, they would have been low tables, and they would have been set up in a horseshoe, right? And, uh, and so the, the, the people who had gathered, the men who had gathered, they would be sitting around together, and they would be laying down um, because that's how they ate. And, and, and they would be laying on their left elbows, of course, because you eat with your with your right hand, you never want to eat with your left hand, right? And so they would be um, um, they would be laying down, and their feet, of course, would be far away from the table and from one another because feet, as it continues to be in the Middle East today, were horribly unclean and were seen as being unclean. And so they would be sitting there, and and there they would be, and there would be a fair amount of action going on in the open part of the horseshoe. The servants would be coming inside and and, and providing for the food and the drink and replenishing whatever was in need. And, and, and the door typically would have been fairly open. People would have been coming in and out. There would have been some who perhaps were gathered around the outside of the people's feet who were hungry and who were waiting for them to be done with the food, and then they would get some of the leftovers. And, and then there were others who were there perhaps just kind of milling about just to try to listen, right? These conversations in Greek culture tended to be fairly highfalutin. They were, they were talking about kind of higher ideals. And, of course, with Jesus being there, inviting Jesus, they wanted to hear more about what Jesus had been talking about. Very likely he'd been preaching or speaking in the synagogue earlier that day, and they wanted to hear even more about what Jesus had to say. And so here we are in the somewhat hustle and bustle with the cacophony of sounds of plates and chewing and drinks and, and talking and laughing. Amongst all of this, all of a sudden, she walks in. And you can almost just imagine how everything got quickly silent, eerily silent. The moment that that alabaster jar broke or that the tear hit Jesus' feet, everything quiet except for the woman as she was kissing and crying and drying, kissing and crying and drying, kissing and crying and drying. My guess is the only noisy thing other than her were the voluminous thoughts that were probably going on inside of everyone's heads. You've been in a situation like this, I would imagine, right? You've been in a, in a place where something happened and all of a sudden things got very quiet and your head started spinning. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe this. Can you believe this? I can't wait to get home and tell everyone what just happened. This is crazy. This is bizarre. What's going to happen next? Because everything that was happening was unheard of in this time and place. 
We're told of what at least one of them was thinking, Simon the Pharisee. And what Simon was thinking was, okay, well, that settles that. Clearly, Jesus is not a prophet because if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of sinning woman this is. And it was assumed then that, of course, if Jesus knew that she was a sinful woman, that there is no way that he would allow her to do what she was doing. So there in the silence, and who knows how long it went when everybody could only hear the the kissing and the crying and the drying, finally, Jesus speaks. Simon, I have something to say. And you can just kind of picture it at this point when they're all sitting there on their elbows that now they're all kind of leaning in, right? I mean, they want to know what is Jesus going to say? Speak, teacher, Simon says. And so Jesus begins to tell them this short little parable. There were two debtors who owed a creditor. One owed 50 denarii, one owed 500. The creditor decided to cancel them both. Now, which of the two debtors loved the creditor more? It's a simple parable, really, very pithy, very elementary, especially for someone as well-read and astute and knowledgeable as a Pharisee. But that doesn't keep the Pharisee from hedging his bet just a little bit, probably because he knew that his answer was going to incriminate him in some way. And so he says, I suppose the one who owed more. Jesus said, you've answered correctly, Simon. Now, if I was Jesus' attorney, and I'm not, but if I was, I would have said, that's good, Jesus. Leave it there. Everyone gets what you're saying. You don't need to say anything else. The point has been made. Let's just kind of throw that out there. But Jesus, of course, doesn't seem to care about what his attorney would say. I mean, there's a certain amount of freedom when you already know what's coming down the pike to be able to say whatever you want to. And so Jesus does what would have been unheard of, which is he begins to criticize the host. Simon, he says, when I came in here, you offered me no water, and yet she has been washing my feet with her tears. When I came in, you gave me no kiss, and yet she has been kissing me from the very moment she got here. When I came in, you did not anoint me, and yet here she is anointing my feet. You see, Simon, those who have been forgiven many, of which she had many sins, they love much. And those who forgive little, or who are forgiven little, love little. And without missing a beat, he turns to the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And at this moment, the camera begins to pan out. 
And we're left kind of looking over the scene from afar with a woman continuing to cry over the feet of Jesus, with Jesus looking out at the Pharisees, with some Pharisees kind of mumbling to themselves, grumbling about who this is who can forgive, and with Simon just sitting there, laying there. Who knows what the expression on his face is? Perhaps anger, perhaps joy, perhaps surprise. It is perhaps, it seems to me, one of the most powerful scenes that we see in the Gospels. And there are so many different places that one could go with a passage like this. But as I was thinking about it, the, the, the thing that I think, first of all, kind of leapt off the page to me about this story is how similar this setting is to what we oftentimes see going on here at ZPC. Let me explain. First of all, they're all gathered around, and what are they doing? They are eating. And we like to eat. Amen? If you don't believe it, well, we're going to eat here soon of communion. Uh, every week we've got donuts, right? In three weeks, we're going to have an all-church brunch that we have quarterly where there will be more food than you could possibly imagine. If you're a visitor, when you go home in the next few days, you will get a cinnamon roll because we just like to show you more food. There was one criticism. It far outweighed any other criticism in the all-church retreat, about the all-church retreat. I'm telling you, probably by 50 to 1. I kid you not. And you know what that criticism was that the lines were too long to get to the food. And quite frankly, they were right. They were too long. It's all about the food. So you've got, you've got people who love food, right? So then we see the similarities there, right? Uh, the, the, the Pharisees, they have invited Jesus in, right? Well, I, my guess is that we, every time we come to worship, I hope, we are inviting Jesus in, right? We're inviting Jesus into our worship space. My prayer is that when you go to your own home or wherever it is that you go, that you are inviting Jesus into your lives, right? We are people who invite Jesus just like the Pharisees did. We're people who like to talk about Jesus. And, of course, that's exactly why Jesus was there. They wanted to talk more about him. They wanted to talk more with him. They wanted to hear more about him. That's what we do in worship. That's what we do at home groups. That's what we do at Sunday school. We are talking about Jesus. We're wanting to understand Jesus more and more. You see, there's some similarities, right? Uh, we like things that are somewhat orderly here at ZPC. And if there's one thing the Pharisees liked, they liked order. Things had rules. They were a prim and proper place, right? Presbyterians have a saying about their worship. It is to be done decently and in order. And that's exactly what the Pharisees liked, right? What the woman was doing, that was not orderly. That was not decent. That was not how you are supposed to act in public places. See, there's a lot of kind of similarities, it seems to me, about the setting, at first at least, and what we normally experience, right? We like it. We like these rules. I'm not saying that we're Pharisees, but we have Pharisaical tendencies in a good way at points, right, in this particular passage. And then all of a sudden, she comes in. And you know what she is, don't you? She's a Pentecostal. There is no question in my mind that that's what she is. 
And she comes in and she changes everything. Right? We've talked about this before. I've told you enough about my upbringing, right? We, in our worship services, we were always talking about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was just what we did, right? We would, you know, I didn't ever get to watch it on television, but I didn't need it because I saw it here, right? Because someone would stand up, right? We've talked about this and give a testimony, right? And, and he or she would stand up and they would begin to talk about how they used to always be strung out on drugs or how they were alcoholics or how they had engaged in indiscretions. And we always knew what that meant. And they would continue to talk, and they would go on and on until finally then they would tell us how they had met Jesus. And at that moment, almost like it was just timed perfectly, all of a sudden the tears would begin to flow because they were remembering the forgiveness that they had received from Jesus. And there was no stopping them from letting us know that. There was no stopping of any emotion, no stopping of any excitement. They could not help but begin to become joyful and to begin to see that through tears. The emotion was rampant. And so here in this particular scene, you've got these good ZPCers sitting around gathering and a modern day Pentecostal comes in and it makes everyone exceedingly awkward. I mean, am I right? If someone were to come in here, even in the loudest musical part of our worship, and were to sit next to you, and were all of a sudden to begin weeping or screaming for joy about the forgiveness of Jesus, some of you would be wondering, why did I sit here today? And I get it, quite frankly. I mean, again, there is a reason why. I got tired of feeling awkward. And yet, there does seem to me that there still might be some lesson that we can garner from this particular story. That even though perhaps we don't need to be running the aisles or doing some of these things, that perhaps, just perhaps, we might be able to show just a little bit more emotion Not much, just a smile even at times. Just something which reveals that our hearts are into the worship of Jesus and into our relationship with Christ. It doesn't have to be a lot, but there are times when I wonder, and it's not just me. I hear from some of you who say, well, you know what, my faith is just kind of intellectual. I mean, I think about it, but, but there isn't always that heartfelt connection. And I think, you know, again, I know the caveats. Well, we're just a more intellectual type. We're kind of professional or or we've taught to always worship in very respectful ways. And that's good and right. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that perhaps we have fallen to the other extreme. And I have a theory about why that might be the case or at least something we might do to help challenge that, which is exactly what Jesus said to Simon that those who are forgiven much show great love. And those who are forgiven little show less love. 
Now, I want you to hear me because this is somewhat dangerous to say. I don't want you to assume that I think that you don't love Jesus or that you don't feel like you are forgiven. But I do think that a group of ZPCers like us, that we are perhaps a people who wrestle with really genuinely experiencing and feeling the amount of forgiveness that Jesus has given to us. There are probably a plenteous of reasons for that, but let me give you two. One that I have a feeling, much like the Pharisees, that there are many of us, especially those of us just like me, who have been raised in the church, who find it much easier to find the places in other people's lives where they need to be forgiven than in finding those places in our lives where we need to be forgiven. I am always, I am often thunderstruck by how much more emotion and passion people have when it, Christians have about pointing out how the world has gone wrong and how many other people around them are sinning than they are about getting excited and passionate about how Jesus has forgiven them. One of the things that I have discovered is that righteous indignation is often a spiritual cloak which allows you to hide from those things that you are unwilling or unable to be forgiven for in your own life. Let me say that one again. Righteous indignation is oftentimes a spiritual cloak that allows you to hide from those places in your life that you are unwilling or unable to be forgiven from. And if you find yourself in a place where your passions are more easily evoked in outrage at the world than they are inflamed for the joy of following Jesus and how he has forgiven you, then we might want to ask ourselves if we are really examining our lives and those areas in which we need to be forgiven. But secondly... And this is something I've been ruminating on for three weeks now. Is that I have a feeling, and I started thinking about this as soon as I went to Great Banquet, that there are probably many of us for whom it is easy to hide our own guilt or those mistakes that we have made. I don't want to spill a lot of the secret sauce because I will get in trouble from the day Coloris tribe if I do that here at Great Banquet. But I do want to share this. When I was there uh, in Brownsburg, I was struck. I was struck by just how much people have gone through in their lives. I mean, I feel like I'm a pastor, so I hear some things, but I was amazed at how much people had gone through. But what I was equally amazed at was how good we are at hiding it. The Pharisees, rest assured, the Pharisees who were gathered around that table, they had a lot of issues. They had mistakes from the past. They thought about it, but they were very good, as we are very good, at being able to hide that. But one of the things that happened throughout those three days was that slowly but surely, as you began to hear these stories, these men began to open up about their own difficulties, about the things that had remained unforgiven, about the mistakes that they had made, but they had never wanted to admit it to anybody, not even themselves. 
And what was fascinating is that as the weekend went on, as they were able to kind of show us the curtain in Oz, if you will, to take a look behind and to see what was actually happening in their lives, that slowly out of that, all of a sudden, there was this joy that began to come up, right? That even these successful men, for whom if you had met them on the street, you would think they don't have a problem in the world. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, there was this joy. And if you can imagine it, in a group of men, a group of men who didn't know each other that well, there were even tears. And one of the things that I want you to know is that if you are here today, And you know, and we all know that there are mistakes that you are wrestling with believing that God has forgiven. I want you to know you are not alone. And I want you to look to the person to your left or your right or across the church. I want you to look at that person and you know they look really good today. And some of that's real and some of it's a facade. And what you need to know is that you are forgiven and that your debt has been paid. See, my hope and my prayer, brothers and sisters, and this is the good news of the gospel. It's not my good news. It's the good news of Jesus the Christ is that the more that we can begin to accept that forgiveness, the more that we tend to not focus on what others have done wrong and how they need to be forgiven in ourselves, the more that we stop spending so much energy trying to hide those things that we have done that we are wrestling with, the more that joy the more that emotion, the more our heart can begin to grow in. This is not about fake emotions. I don't want that. I don't need that. I've had enough of that in my life. This is about genuine joy that comes from knowing that you have been forgiven. And the more that we can begin to experience that, the more and more people will begin coming in here and will start being made uncomfortable by the way in which you cannot contain the joy of Jesus' forgiveness. Hallelujah. Amen.